Well, good morning, everyone. Give you guys another try at that. Good morning, everyone. Okay, there we go. All right. If you do me a favor, grab a copy of God's Word and find your way to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, so if you make that lovely sound of Bible pages turning, or else you can let your phone glow off your face, that's a very lovely light, I'm told. Either way, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, We've been going through this series of Unlikely Heroes, a series in which we're looking at all these different figures of faith, these pillars of the faith that are listed in Hebrews 11, a passage that is commonly referred to as a hall of faith. Now, we've already looked at Abel, and we've looked at Enoch, and really, there's not a whole lot known about those two gentlemen, as far as, like, most of the time when we look at Scripture, we see people's uh, sin and their, their success. We see their faith and their failure. With those guys, we see, don't really see much in the failure side. We see a little bit of with Noah, and then we get to Abraham. And Abraham, there's a lot more of it. He's a lot more, shall we say, humanly relatable, in the sense that Abraham is not a guy who just starts off on this rocket-like trajectory that just goes on and on and on with no setbacks. If you know the story of Abraham, it kind of goes like this. Abraham was born uh, to his father, Terah. When Abraham was born, he was one of three boys, and he eventually gets married, and he has his uh, life. He lives 70 years, no kids. Lives 80 years, no kids, 90 years. This guy is living quite a long time. He spends 70 years with his father, and then God basically tells him, hey, I want you to go and leave your home, leave your father, leave everything you know, just go. And he has no idea where he's going, he just knows go. So he grabs his wife, grabs his nephew, and they head on their way. And over the course of his journey, a lot of different things happen. We see this amazing step of faith where God tells him to go. Though he doesn't know where he's going, he just goes. And it's amazing, this great step of faith. But as he continues on in his journey, we see times where he begins to waver in God's provision. For example, there's a time when he runs into uh, the king, or Pharaoh rather, of Egypt. And he's afraid. God at this point of his life had told him, hey, I'm going to bless you and make a multitude of nations from you. You're going to have a ton of descendants, so many you can't count them. And, and he goes, and he, at this point he has no kids, and he goes and he sees Pharaoh, and he's afraid. He's like, hey, Sarah, you are really attractive, and I'm glad. You're my wife. That's amazing. However, if they know you're my wife, they're going to kill me because you're so beautiful, they're going to want you. So they're going to kill me to get you, which is kind of a compliment in a weird way. And so he tells this lie, and then Pharaoh's like, oh, hey, she is attractive. I'm going to marry her. And then God's like, she's already married. Plagues. And Pharaoh's like, oh, no, Abraham, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And he's like, and they go. And the story goes on, and this actually happens again with someone else, Abimelech, the exact same thing. And you're like, dude, Abraham, what is your deal? But it's, again, his doubts in God's provision, his doubts in God's protection, his doubts in God fulfilling his promise. Because at this point, he hadn't had any kids. At this point, he's not a father of nations. And yet he's doubting that he'll make it through this. And then similarly, we have Sarah, 
who's like, hey, Abraham, I am crazy old. I have no kids. So here, take Hagar, my servant, and, and she can become the mother of a child. And she becomes the mother of one of his children, Ishmael. But that wasn't the plan of God. That wasn't his desire to fulfill his promise. And if you know how the lineage of things works through Scripture into modern day, the descendants of Ishmael are the predominant reason that Israel is constantly under attack and under threat of extermination from the last few centuries. Because, again, not trusting in God to do what he says. So is Abraham a man of faith? Why is he in this chapter of Hebrews 11 if he has so much doubt, if he has so many slip-ups? And Well, here's the good news for us, loved ones. Having faith doesn't mean you're always going to be perfect. There's going to be times when our faith is stronger. There's going to be times when our faith is weaker. And we're going to take a look at the story of this man of faith uh, as told in Hebrews 11. It says, It was by faith that, God, that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. What an amazing thing. God's like, hey, I have an inheritance for you. Go to it. And he's like, okay. Except... It says he went without knowing where he was going. But it didn't matter. Because here's the first thing about, uh, that we need to understand with faith. You get to put up the first point. Faith requires obedience. If you're wanting to see your faith grown, if you're wanting to see your walk with Christ grown, then here's the first thing we have to understand. Faith requires obedience. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, if you've been a follower of Christ for any period of time, if you've ever opened up a Bible, then you know there's some things God asks of us. There's things that he wants of us, ways, a way in which he wants us to live, that we display him, that we honor him. And there are many who say, yes, God, I want that. And we're not perfect, but we do our best to follow what God has for us. But then there are also many who claim Christ, and yet their life does not in any way reflect who he is. Well, what's going on there? Well, here's a simple truth about faith. Faith requires obedience. If there is not obedience, then there is not faith. Now, here's what I mean by that, because I want to clarify. I am not saying that if you ever disobey God, then you've lost all faith. Not saying that. Everyone say not saying. Yeah, not saying that. Right? There's times when our faith is weaker than others. I'm not saying that if we mess up, we've lost all faith. But what I am saying is, if your life is marked by one of faithlessness, that's a problem. Because if you truly, because if we have faith in God, then our faith requires, it is shown, demonstrated through obedience. Now here's uh, what, what this kind of looks like. Now the definition that Pastor Rick has used with faith is faith is uncompromising confidence in God's word. And that's a great way of looking at faith. But let's unpack that a little more. So have uncompromising confidence in the word of God basically means this. That you believe the word of God and you act on it regardless of how you feel, regardless of what circumstances say. Why? Because I'm trusting my God will use this for his glory. That's why. Faith is when we believe in the word of God and act on it, no matter how we feel, no matter what circumstances seem to say or dictate, we act upon the word of God. Why? Because we trust God for the results. Not saying that we're trusting God's going to make everything happy and pretty. 
right? There's so many stories. We're going to get into this a little bit more as we keep going, but there's so many stories in Scripture where people step out in faith. They follow God in faith. And it's not the result that everyone would hope. Sometimes it ends in death. Sometimes it ends in destruction. Sometimes it ends in all sorts of things that, humanly speaking, like, well, that's terrible. But did you know this life's not about you? Do we know that, church? Do we understand that there's times when we are going to be called to go to the deepest of valleys and the driest of deserts? Why? Not because, oh, God makes everything good for me. No, deserts aren't fun, but because God will glorify himself through it. Now, is that enough for you? Is that enough for me? Sometimes, yes, it is enough. God, all I want is your glory. And sometimes, selfishly, no. And I'm like, God, I don't, I don't, I don't want this. But stepping out into the unknown, stepping out in faith means, God, you have my obedience. Period. You have my obedience. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's happening. But God, I will know one thing. I know you. And I know you will not leave me abandoned. I know you, whatever it is, you're going to carry me through it. But is that enough for us? To know that he's with you every step, to know that he will glorify himself, is that enough? Because truthfully, it ought to be. When a life that claims Christ is not a life that is followed or that is being demonstrated in obedience to God, one of three things are true. Either one, you're ignorant and you don't know what God says. That's an easy fix. Number two, you're arrogant and you think you know better than God. That's a hard fix. God's going to deal with that. Or number three, you're not saved. When our life is not one that is marked by the obe- faithful obedience to God, we're either ignorant, we're arrogant, or we're unsaved. Those are the only options. Because if we are humbly following him, if we are humbly saying, God, you are the creator of all things, and I am just a person who is a flash in the pan, I'm here and I'm God, and I trust in you, then we say, God, wherever you take me, I'm yours. Wherever you take me, I'm yours. But we don't like to do that. We like to say, God, I'll follow you anywhere you want me to go, but first tell me where I'm going. God, wherever you want to take me, but I want exactly step by step so I can have a little input because, God, I don't like this detour over here. So we're going to... And how much of our life do we spend trying to counsel God, tell him what he needs to do, as opposed to, God, where would you have me go? What do you want in my life? Abraham, though he had no idea where he was going, steps out in faith. I know several people who will jokingly claim this is a life verse. Oh, yeah, that's my life verse, Hebrews 11.8. He walks away, no idea where he was going. Okay. I get it. Because there's some times when it's like, God, I have no idea what's going on. I, I have no idea where I'm going. But ultimately, as a Christian, we're not called to just aimlessly wander. We're called to intentionally pursue him. You might not know what the next step is. You might not know the destination. You might not know where it is God's bringing you on this crazy journey in life. You may not have the faintest idea, and guess what? That's okay. I know some of our type A people in here are like, I need to know. You really don't. Because God does. He already does. There's a famous expression, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. 
And is that enough for us? We don't need to know every step. But what we do need to know is here's the word of God. The will of God is simple. Honor him, glorify him, live your life by his word. What's the will of God for my life? That's it. Glorify him as you love him and serve him and follow him. But how am I supposed to do that? As faithfully as you can, right where you are. And if he wants to move you, he's going to move you. If he wants to take you somewhere, he's going to take you somewhere. But where you are, you live and you plant yourself to bear fruit as faithfully as you can. That is your purpose in this life. And when we seek to honor him, seek to follow him by faith, that means we are living our lives accordingly. Now, does our faith save us? By no means. Excuse me, our faith does save us. Does our works save us? By no means. Does our works change things about our faith or salvation? Absolutely not. James talks about this, this strange uh, relationship in James chapter 2. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say... You have faith, and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. It goes on in verse 20 in chapter 2. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Faith apart from works is useless. Well, that seems really bold. Well, yes, it does, but God kind of has the ability to do that. It is bold. If our faith isn't changing the way we live, if it's not changing who we are, then we really need to question, God, do I have faith in you at all? If your life, if your faith in Christ hasn't changed you, you must question if your faith in Christ has saved you. Not that we're perfect. Lord knows Abraham wasn't. Lord knows I'm not but that it is a faithful surrender to continue on after him day by day by day. And there's some days you're going to do that amazing and some days you're going to do that horribly. Again, it's not about being perfect. But as you're a Christian growing in Christ, as your faith grows in the Lord, one thing you will see is that your ability to follow him, to obey him, to faithfully, humbly submit to him it grows. It changes. Why? Because you don't stay the same. You grow. You change. It says in James 2, 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Your life in Christ needs to be bearing fruit. That's what this is talking about. Your life in Christ needs to be bearing fruit. Now, This is not a stipulation in the sense of like, if you come to Jesus and you don't bear enough fruit, well, you're going to hell anyway. Not, not what this is about. What this is about is, let's say you're an athlete and you're on a team. You're on the varsity team of whatever school. And you fully believe as an athlete that your role is to be at peak physical performance. I need to step up. I need to train. I need to go to bed and get my rest. I need to fuel myself, all these things, so I can perform tip-top, best possible way. Right? That's your role. That's your job. And then you, have to, you do none of that. You do absolutely none of that. One, how useful are you going to be on the team? Well, not very. But secondly... Though you say, as an athlete, I need to 
fuel my body well, I need to sleep well, I need to train and all. Though you say all those things, if you're not doing them, do you actually believe you need to do those things? No, you don't. Because your actions, while they do not give you faith, your, your actions do not give you salvation, it demonstrates what you believe because our lives will always display what we believe. Your life, your actions display what you believe. There, did you know there's a difference between what you know is true and what you believe is true? Right? We've talked about this before. There's a difference, difference between what we know and what we believe because we know we know the word of God tells us, God, you are faithful, you are true, you will walk with me every step of the journey. God, you are more than worth everything. But if we truly, fully believed that, would our lives not be different? Would our submission to him not be different? Would the way we live not change? Now, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to beat you over the head with, you're a bad Christian because you're not being faithful. Not what I'm doing. But what I am saying is this. If your life is not marked by faithful progress towards Christ, there's something that you need to look at with you and God. Because faith, real faith, requires obedience. If there's not obedience to God, then there is not faith. Let's continue on in the passage. So it says this in verse 9. Even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the promise, that son and grandson. We'll talk about them in future weeks, God willing. Verse 10, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So here's our next thing. We can step out in faith because we know God's got it covered. Right? That's what Abraham's doing with this. He, he leaves, though he doesn't know where he's going. And even when he gets to where he's going, he doesn't build a house. He doesn't build for himself a, a, a land, a community, a whole deal. He doesn't build a city. He just simply, he's dwelling in tents. And he moves around, and he moves around. He's like a nomad in this place. Why? Because at this point, he's living in the land of Canaan. One day Israel, but currently Canaan. Not his land. Not his nation. He's a foreigner wandering about. But God says, hey, one day I'm going to give this to you. You don't have it now. But one day this is coming. One day this is coming. I know you would like the security of having it now. You would like the security of this land is yours and here is your house. Here is your walled city. Here is your defense. That's the security. We love security as people. Right? We want to, I just want to know I'm secure. I want to know my future's secure. I want to know my finances are secure. I want to know my kids are secure. Fun fact, you'll never know any of that. We live in a world that is full of turmoil, constantly tossing and turning. You can, you can make your plans. You can build your cities. But we're not in control of anything. In a flash, things change. So are we setting our hope upon the security that we find around us? Or is our hope set upon, God, my faith is in you? Because I know that no matter what happens, there is one thing that can't be taken away from me. My job may one day be taken. My family, my house, my possess everything I have may one day be taken. But one thing that could never be taken or touched is God in my life. 
my faith in him. So when we step out in faith, it's not because we're saying, God, you're going to do exactly what I want, so I'm going to step out in faith, and that's not how that works. When you step out in faith, you're doing so not knowing what God's going to do, but trusting that God's got it anyway. Right? Faith, believing the word of God, acting on it, no matter how I feel, regardless of the circumstances. Why? Because we're trusting God with the results. We're trusting that it will be for his glory. There's so many examples that we can go to in scripture of people stepping out in faith. People stepping out, choosing to follow him, and sometimes it ends amazing. And sometimes God allows the tragedy to come. I'm sure you can look in your own life, and if you've been walking with Christ for a season of time, you could probably look and see in the lives of others, family, and friends. Some who step out in faith, and you see these amazing things, and some who step out in faith, and you're like, God, what happened? Right, because we have a tendency to do that, don't we, loved ones? Where if we get what we want, then God is so good and so faithful. Victory, happy day. But then when God doesn't do what we want, is God any less faithful? Is God any less good? By no means. Well, then what do we do then? What do we do when we don't see the fulfillment, when we don't see the promise delivered? Abraham is he's like, God, I'm here. He spends, you realize how many years pass between when Abraham is promised his child and when Abraham actually gets his child? We're talking decades God, what's happening? But yet still, yes, he has hiccups. Yes, he has issues. But still faithfully, day by day by day, continues on after God. We don't always get to see the end result. We don't always get to know how God's going to use everything. But that's what it, why it's called faith. Faith is saying, God, I've seen enough of you. I've seen enough of what you've done that though I don't know what's happening here, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you anyway. I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to trust you anyway with this. Why? Because I know you've got this. You can handle anything. It says in Philippians 4.19, Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in Christ Jesus, in glory in Christ Jesus. He'll supply everything you need. Everything you need. Now, caveat. Everything you need for the life he's called you to live. Because there's going to be times where it's like, God, I really need this and I don't have it. If you don't have it now, you don't need it yet. Whoa, whoa, hold on. But, but I do. No. Because God will give you everything you need when you need it. Now, that's a hard thing for some of us to accept because sometimes it's something maybe a little bit more frivolous, like, I really, God, I really need a vacation so, to Italy. Right? Sometimes it's maybe a little more frivolous. But sometimes it's like, God, I, I need a kidney, and I need it now. And we think, God, I need it. I, I, my time is running out. Well, no, it's not. Your time on this earth may be running out but you have all of eternity with Christ. Your time is never, loved ones, your time never runs out. 
Because we have all of eternity with Christ. Now, I don't say that to be flippant. I fully understand the, the hardship that comes when someone is, that you care for is suffering. You're like, God, we need a miracle. I get it. But the question is, do we have faith to trust God? You've got this regardless, regardless of what's happening. Because there's going to be times when we see God do things and it's amazing. And there's going to be times where like Abraham, we're wandering in the desert. We're just like, God, where are you? And we don't see it. And God, I don't get it. I don't get why you let things happen. I don't get why you allow this tragedy. I don't get why. But what I do understand is that I know you and I can trust you even still through this. Faith does not mean that we get everything we want. Faith means that no matter what, God, I'm following you. Because sometimes he might call you into the furnace. Sometimes he might call you into the desert. Sometimes he may call you to lay down your life. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? If you've been walking with God and you've seen him move, then you know would be on the shadow of a doubt. Yes, he is worth it. And always will be. But that doesn't mean there aren't times when we struggle. It doesn't mean there aren't times when we grow fearful. Sometimes we're tempted to turn away. Sometimes we're tempted to turn back. If you look with me in verse 11, it says, It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child Though she was barren and was, told, and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man. God provided, delivered his promise. Amazing. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore, there is no way to count them. Verse 13. All of these people died still believing what God had promised them. Who are all these people? Well, we're talking Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah. All these people got a promise. There's a promised land. There is a home I'm bringing you. There's a home I'm bringing you to. All of them died without seeing it. But they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Verse 14, obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for a country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking, verse 16, for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, this is something that I love to point out when I read scripture. A lot of times we look at scripture as all these disjointed stories, these things that are just kind of popcorned everywhere. You guys realize this is all one connected thing from God. You have Abraham, and this is a beautiful picture of Abraham and how it mirrors the New Testament. Because you have Abraham called from his life, and he is a nomad and a wanderer, and his people are nomads and wanderers, and they are even enslaved. Because his descendants go to Egypt, and his descendants become enslaved for 400 years. But then God's like, no, I'm bringing you out of the slavery. And when I bring you out of the slavery, I'm bringing you into your home, your promised land, your forever inheritance. And that is a picture of us of what we have been called by God. 
though we are, have the sin in us, we are called and set free from that, free through the blood and the work of Jesus Christ, and one day we will enter into our eternal prepared home with God forever. What an amazing thing that is. Abraham and his descendants are looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise. They trust God. You're, you're going to do it. 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 And that needs to be us too. This is not your home. This is not where you'll be spending forever. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. There's going to be a new forever home. And that's what we look forward to. So when we by faith say, God, I will walk through any path you set me on. We say that not because we think everything on earth is going to be good. Because, guys, this is not the point. This earth is not the point. Your life here is not the point. Your life here is what prepares us for the rest of eternity. The faithfulness here is where the gems, which people talk about the crowns, the jewels in heaven, basically the God will reward those that are faithful and those who are faithful here. This is where the rewards are built up that when we enter into eternity, now what does that mean? The more faithful get like the mansion and the less faithful get like a two-bedroom bungalow? I don't know. God doesn't specify what it is. All I know is that if God promises it, I'm going to want it. Because I've seen enough of the goodness of God to know that if he promises a good gift, it's going to be awesome. When we step out in faith, we don't always know the results. We usually won't know the results. But honestly, that's enough. Because when we step out in faith, faith means there's no turning back. That's this next point. Faith means there's no turning back. There are so many times throughout the story of Exodus, the story of Genesis, the story of Judges and Joshua, there's so many times the people could have turned back, and there was even times they wanted to. The faith means no turning back. Why? Because we keep stepping forward, trusting that God's got it. Doesn't mean there's not going to be scary times. Doesn't mean there's not going to be hardships. Right? Daniel in the lion's den. God did not spare Daniel the lion's den. He spared him the destruction in the lion's den, but he still had to go through it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not spared the fiery furnace. They went headfirst right into it. They were spared the destruction. And sometimes God does that. Sometimes he doesn't. The deacon, Stephen, in Acts, he was one who was filled with the Spirit, preaching, proclaiming the truths of God, the eternities of heaven, and it was an amazing thing. And the Jews were like, we hate you, and they killed him. Brutally. Or you have Zechariah, son of Jehadiah, who was a high priest in uh, the time of the kings. And you had King Joash, who, well, his father was high priest, was a great godly man. But as soon as dad died, son Zechariah takes over. And the king's like, you know what? I'm kind of done with following God. I'm going to start setting up my own idols. And Zechariah's like, what are you doing? And he starts calling him out like, this isn't okay. Tear down the idols. We need to follow God. We're being faithful to the things of God. And his reward was the king had him stoned to death in the courtyard of the temple by the altar. Hold on. If that's what I get for being faithful, that's not what you get for being faithful. What you get for being faithful happens on the other side of eternity. But that's what you have to be faithful through. A lot of people 
hear the things of God, hear it taught, and so often it's taught in only like half-story ways. Where we hear about all the great ways where God redeems and he does redeem. All the ways God saves and he does save. All the ways God provides and he does provide. But so often it stops short with the reality that we aren't promised an easy life. We're not promised to get all the things we want in this life. We are promised one thing as Christians. One thing. We are promised life with God forever. Is that enough? Is that enough? Do we want the gift giver or do we want the gifts? Do we want the God of this universe or do we want the universe that he made? A lot of times we'd rather have, if we're honest, we'd rather have the earth that he made than him. And God forgive us for that. This earth will pass away. Your successes, your triumphs, your trophies will pass. Your trials, your hardship, your grief will pass. And if we are continuing on by faith, Abraham could have turned back. If he was looking back where he came from, he could have turned back like Lot's wife when Sodom and Gomorrah are being destroyed and she looks back at what she's missing and God's like, and she turns into that pillar of salt and that's a crazy story. Abraham could have turned back at any point. He had so many opportunities. But continued on and continued on. Didn't mean he didn't trip. Didn't mean he didn't stumble. But continued on. Because when we live by faith, it means there's no turning back. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 34 through 36 says this. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, speaking to uh, saints, Christians at the time who were being persecuted. You suffered along with those who were being thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Wait, what? When all you had was taken, you accepted it with joy. Why? For you knew there was a better thing waiting for you that will last forever. What a blessing. We have an eternal home awaiting us. Verse 35. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. In this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you'll have a thousand physical, tangible reasons to turn back. But faith says no turning back. In every one of my Bibles, I have uh, three little phrases, two-word phrases written. No relenting, no reserves, and no regrets. It's inspired by a guy named Borden. Would love to get into the story. We don't have time for that today. Basically, no relenting, There's no stopping. God, I can't stop. I can't not follow you. One of my favorite verses, one of my life verses in uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, where Jeremiah, if you know anything about his ministry, he basically spends his life preaching to the people of Judah who would not repent, would not turn back. He's like, repent or destruction is coming. Repent or it's coming. And they won't listen. And he weeps and he grieves and it gets to a point. He's like, God, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. 
But then it says in chapter 20, verse 9, like, even if I were to say I will no longer speak of his name, there is a fire, as it were, in my bones that is burning that I cannot contain it. He's like, God, this is so painful, but God, I have to. I can't not declare your truth. So God, it would be so much easier for me if I could just not. But there's a burning fire, a passion. God, I have to declare your truth. No relenting. Regardless of consequence, regardless of circumstance, God, I'm not done. I'm not stopping, pressing forward. No reserves. I hold nothing back. God, everything's yours. Everything is yours. I love my children with the entirety of my being. I would die for them. I would do whatever needs to happen for them. But if one day my son comes to me and says, hey, dad, I really feel the call for God. God's sending me off into the mission field. And I know this is a tumultuous place and it's not safe and it's dangerous. But God, I feel like this is where he wants, this is where I feel like God wants me. Then I will pray with him and I will pack his bags with him and I will send him on his way. Why? Not because I don't love him, not because I'm okay with not seeing him again, but because I do love him enough to know that if he is following God's call on his life, then that's all that matters. Because one day I'll see him again, and I look forward to that day, regardless of how things happen on this earth. I'm thankful that he's two and I have a long time before I've got to think about something like that. But my point is this. Hold nothing back. No reserves. No relenting, no reserves, and then no regrets because if we, as Christ followers, live a life with no relenting, we don't stop. No reserves, we hold nothing back, then we will live a life at the end of the day where there will not be any regrets because you will never, ever regret a single moment of when you live your life by faith following him. There will never be a moment of regret when that is your life. But when your life isn't that, when you do hold back, when you go another way, that is nothing but regret. We'll go on to the last part of this text. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. If you don't know that story, it's an amazing, crazy story. Here's Isaac, the son of the promise. God's like, I'm going to bless you. The whole world will be blessed through you. Anyone who blesses you will be blessed. And it's going to happen through your son. And he gets the son. And God's like, yeah, that's the one. He's like, awesome. And then God's like, oh, take that son, bring him up on a mountain, and sacrifice him. Slit his throat, spill his blood, done. And Abraham... I don't even know what he was like when that came. What? God, God, you, you, what? I mean, that would be me. But what he does is he takes his son and he goes up the mountain and he even has his son bring the wood for the, for the sacrifices. <laughs> and he ties his son and he lays him on the altar and he is ready, moments away from this. He raises his hand, about to do it. He has the knife in hand. He's about to sacrifice his son when God stops him in the moment. And he's like, wait! He's like, Abraham, you would hold nothing back from me. And that was the point of this. It wasn't 
It wasn't to sacrifice a human. God wasn't interested in that. And it wasn't even this big thing of, oh, I wonder what he's going to do. Let's give him a test. God knew what he was going to do. But notice what Abram had done previously in his life. More than once through Abraham's life, he would get to a point where his faith is tested. Do I trust God's got it? Do I trust God's got it? And there's several times when he failed that test. And now here's the ultimate test. God, do I trust you've got this? Because through every success, through every failure, through every step of his life, God continued working in him, continued growing in him that faith. So when this time came, and his faith was tested. He was willing to do whatever it took, whatever God called. Why? Because no relenting, no reserves, no regrets. So he is about to do this. <clears throat> Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Verse 18, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. We put our faith in God because he is the God of the impossible. This is our last thing. We put our faith in God because he is the God of the impossible. At this point of human history, had there ever been a resurrection from the dead? No, there hadn't. But Abraham's like, God, I'm willing to give you my son. I'm willing to do this because you promised me something. And I know that you are always faithful to your promise. So because you are always faithful to your promise, I'm not holding anything back. God, even if he dies here on the altar, I know you are faithful. And if you say that he is the one you're fulfilling your promise through, then you will do whatever you can, can do, whatever it takes, even bringing him back from the dead. The God we serve is the God of the impossible. He spoke a universe out of nothing. He is the God of the impossible. He has raised people from the dead because he is the God of the impossible. Miracle after miracle after miracle throughout the scriptures because he is God of the impossible. There is nothing too hard for him. It says in Luke 137, for nothing is impossible with God. Matthew 32, 17. Matthew 32, 17, Jesus looked at, or wait, that's wrong. I missed typo. But anyway, in Matthew, I wrote the reference on wrong. I apologize. But it says, Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Jeremiah 32, 17. In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, Ah, Lord, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard. He is the God of the impossible. In that same chapter later on, about 10 verses down in verse 27, God's responding. He says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Say, I'm the God who made everything. Is there anything too hard? No. He is the God of the impossible. That doesn't mean that everything we want happens, but what it does mean is he's able to fulfill every promise he has ever made to you. Everyone. 
There's going to be times when he's going to call you out to step in faith, and it's going to be terrifying. But loved ones, God will not call you to take a step of faith if there's not going to be a spot for your foot to land. People say, oh, God will never give you more than, he can hand- than you can handle, and that is such rubbish. God will give you more than you can handle, but he'll never give you more than he can handle. And he will carry you through everything regardless of what it is. In Daniel chapter 3, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego briefly earlier. It's one of my favorite stories in scripture. And one of the reasons is, is because you see these three guys who are being told, hey, worship an idol or die. And they're like, "Um, we'll take death, please. And they stand before the king and the king's like, are you serious? I'm going to kill you. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. And what they say in Daniel 3 is basically this. Our God is able to save us from the furnace, O Nebuchadnezzar. But even if he does not, we would rather burn. They would rather die. They're like, God, we know you can do anything. You can save us from any trial. You can do anything. But even if you don't, I'm going to continue by faith to trust you. Why? Because you are God of the impossible. I've seen you evidence and evidence and evidence through my life, the life of people before me, through the saints of scripture. God, I've seen your faithfulness. I love God. I'm so thankful that you're faithful. When even, even when I'm faithless, you are still faithful. And so God, I'm going to choose to trust you by faith every step. It's gonna, not going to always be easy. Sometimes it's going to be seemingly impossible. But thank God that we don't worship some puny little idol on a shelf. We worship a star-breathing, universe-holding, eternity-shaping God of the impossible. Please pray with me. Jesus, we are so thankful for all that you do through us, all you do through your church. We're so thankful for the testimony, the evidence we have of scripture. We're thankful for so many things that you do. God, I pray that you would show us, give us the faith that we need to do what you've called us to. Because God, there's times we're scared. There's times when we're afraid. Strengthen us. We don't want to be those who shrink back. We don't want to be those who run in fear. We want to be those who run full on after you. God, we don't want to be fearless warriors in a white picket fence. We want to jump into the deep end and have you lead us through the ocean. So we got to take our hand and lead us. Give us the faith when we lack it. Because God, all our faith comes from you. All our faith is in you. So take us and bring us forward. In Jesus' name, amen.